some of our images of Jesus, meek and mild, get challenged a little bit when we think about that one day in the temple square where Jesus and his disciples were there. Maybe sweet Jesus may come to mind, but it's in a whole different tone when we think about Jesus just going crazy, taking time enough and effort enough to make himself a whip. And then he gets his whip and he starts cracking this whip and he's hitting animals and he's leading all these animals in a big procession out of the temple. And at the same time, he's yelling at people. He's kicking over tables, going nuts on people. And you've got to imagine, sweet Jesus, as he's doing all this, people are paying attention and wondering, who in the world is this guy? And as I've always thought about that encounter, I've always wondered about the disciples, what they were thinking as they were going through this. I imagine they were either thinking one of two things. Maybe one, they felt sort of empowered themselves, you know, like, yeah, I'm with him. Don't mess with me or I'll do that, too. Right. Sort of kind of take on his bravado, maybe. Or the other way they're thinking is maybe they're a little embarrassed, like, I'm sorry, I'm with him. I apologize. Send me the bill and I'll fix it. OK, I'm sorry. But either way, they were thinking we don't know for sure. In John chapter two, as we have this account spelled out for us, John tells us something very meaningful about the disciples experience. As Jesus is doing all this and as the disciples are watching and listening and who knows, maybe even participating, something goes off in one of their minds and they remembered something and they remembered a psalm that read, zeal for your house will consume me. And One disciple said to another, hey, do you remember that verse? And he said, yeah, I remember that. Here it is. Now, that may not sound like a whole lot to you, but I'm going to suggest to you this morning that that those disciples had an aha experience with Scripture, an experience that many of us in the church today haven't had yet. Not that we can't have it, not that we won't have it, just that we haven't had it yet. And as we think about that, the first thing you need to understand, or remember at least, is that probably these disciples and other people like them, they had good chunks of their scripture memorized. Not just their little favorite verses that they have on pencils or, or bumper stickers or anything else. They have good portions of this memorized. And you want to ask yourself, why do they have it memorized? I think part of that is because of how important it was to them. And, you know, this idea of verses and chapters, they don't have verses or chapters. That's an idea that comes much later. You and I, as we try to read this stuff, we introduce verses and chapters. But they have so much of this memorized because to them, Scripture is life. Now, as a pastor... I think I've heard every good excuse people have for not reading Scripture more or not taking Scripture more seriously or trying to, to learn it more. And I'll share some of the top ones you hear all the time. And <clears throat> first one is, well, you look at it. It's a big book. You want me to read all that? 
And then not even this one. Look at this one right here. Good Lord. You want me to read that? And my encouragement is, well, yes. I mean, not all in one sitting, in one day. But it can be done. It's not a big deal. Or, or another favorite. Well, it's full, of, it's full of names I can't pronounce and places I've never heard of. Okay, if you know that, when you come across a name you can't pronounce, just do your best and keep going, right? Or, or, or my, one of my favorites, it doesn't apply to me today where I am in my life. First of all, if you haven't read it, how do you know that? And second of all, unless you are from Mars or some other planet, you are in here, friends. This speaks to so much of who we are as people. So it does apply. Or, 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 or what about this one? I don't have the time. Now that's a good one. I'll give you that one, right? Because we all have to work, right? We all have to do important things in life. I mean, every day we got to get up and brush our teeth, get ready. We got to head out to work. And, you know, you don't want to lose your job or anything. So you got to work every day. And, you know, you got to get online every day, right? You got to check everything that's going on. And, and, and who among us is going to miss our favorite episode of who knows what? So that time reason is a very good one, isn't it? Hmm. Maybe so, maybe no. But understand this, that these disciples and other people like them, they had this stuff memorized. Because in these words is life. It wasn't something that they had to do. It wasn't something that some preacher was telling them and pointing the finger at and telling them, you better be reading your scripture. You didn't have to do that. It wasn't something that they used to get ready for some Bible trivia game. It wasn't something they came back from Christian camp trying to learn more. It was something that had life to them and that without it, they were missing life. I think you can hear that in Psalm 19, as we read it in its entirety. See, the psalm opens up telling us of God's creation. The heavens, the psalmist writes, are telling us of God's glory. And in all, all of creation is telling us, showing us, without ever speaking a word, just how awesome God is. And everything works to do that. Everything does what it's supposed to do. For example, the sun comes up like it's supposed to do. Nothing can escape its heat, the psalmist says. And the sun does that with joy and with purpose, with happiness, kind of like a man on his honeymoon. Y'all know what I'm saying. The Bible doesn't apply to you, does it? That's what the psalmist says, like a man on his honeymoon. Out comes the sun with joy. Or like a a runner about to run his race. That runner has prepared for that. That runner is ready for that. That runner takes joy in that. Or some other translations say like a hero about his task. Just doing what I was put on earth to do and having that joy. That is what creation does. 
Now, as we think about that, you may be wondering, okay, that sounds great, but what does creation have to do with this or with God's word? Well, let's have an aha moment with Scripture and take yourself back all the way to the beginning of Scripture. Matter of fact, in the beginning from Genesis 1. And you remember that creation came into existence by what? God's word. God spoke and creation came into being. God said, let there be whatever. And guess what? Whatever popped up. Because God gave word and there was life. And if we are going to begin at all to have more of these aha moments with Scripture, that is the first step we need to realize. Let God speak, because when God speaks, there is life. Y'all with me? Turn to your neighbor and say, let God speak. Because when God speaks, there is life. Now, I'm always amazed when I hear about people who take on three or four jobs at a time so they can bring in, not, not so they can pay the bills or so they can make ends meet, but so that they can keep up and they can have enough money so that they can have what they call the good life. Or people who work countless hours are put in their mind that they have to have certain things in order for them to have the right life, or a better life. Quite often when we do those kinds of things, I think we realize that we don't let God speak. Because if we did, we might hear God saying, you know what? You don't need that stuff. All you need is me. But you see, in our world, there are things that look to tell us differently. There are things that seek to tell us how unimportant we are if we don't have this or this. Or if our bank account doesn't have certain amounts of zeros in them, we aren't worthy. We have voices, maybe not actual voices, but we have things telling us that you haven't amounted to anything if you haven't done certain things, if you aren't associated with certain people, you're a nobody. You'll never amount to anything. You'll never be anything. Look at you. Who do you think you are? See, those are the voices that speak around us. Those are the things that try to get our attention and move our lives in certain Directions. Those are the voices that we have to deal with. But friends, let me remind you that when God speaks, there is life. You see, as long as we listen to the other voices, we're always chasing after somebody else's dream. We're always chasing after what somebody else thinks is the right life or the good life. And friends, that gets tiring very quickly. Trying to keep up, trying to do what others say is more important. That can suck the life right out of us. But it's God's voice who says, I'm all that you need. And I'm sure that the psalmist was familiar with that aspect of this life. 
that he or she knew about all those other voices surrounding us, knew all about those voices trying to pull us away from the life that God wants for us. See, God wants us to live in joy, I believe. And there is an image of God that we have all been created into, but all of those voices have clouded that image, have tried to take that image away, have even said that that image is nothing worth going after. And as long as we listen to those voices, friends, we'll have nothing. Because that's not God speaking. And the psalmist in Psalm 19 knows that. And that's why I said that the word of God revives the soul. Think of someone who's been struggling. Think of someone who's been in doubt for so long, who has faced so much hardship. How, how much that weighs on a person's soul, not just on whether they're happy one day or not, but how that impacts who they are deep within. And the psalmist has the audacity to believe that the word of God revives the soul. That the word of God makes wise the simple. That the word of God rejoices the heart. That the word of God enlightens our eyes. And even the word of God brings salvation. See, we have tried to take ourselves further and further and further away from that perfect image of God in all of us. But God's word shows us how to recover that image, how to live into that image, that perfect image, how to live in the life that God wants for us. But often what we do is we just think of this, well, this is kind of the Bible. And sure, we know it's important. We put it in the middle of everything and we say, maybe we have a family Bible or maybe we bought a Bible and we got it. We keep it nice and neat and we put our name in it and everything. And maybe we highlight it to show ourselves or other people how important we think it is or whatever. But you know what? This is not a Bible. See, the Bible is just a word that we borrowed from some other language. That means books. Or maybe library. And I understand how important libraries are, and libraries are very important. But let's be real with ourselves for a second. Besides us nerds in disguise, who's getting all excited about a library? It's in the Bible. It's the very words of God. And when God speaks those words, what happens? There is life. When God speaks, there is life. This is God's word right in front of you. And I think those disciples, as they as it came to their mind, zeal for your house will consume me. They had this aha moment. Realize what they didn't say or didn't think, I, I believe. They didn't think, oh, I remember that verse. I learned it in Sunday school as a kid. Let me write that down on a bookmark so I don't forget it. It wasn't just something that they remembered. It was something that gave clarity and meaning to something that they were experiencing right at the moment. As soon as they thought that, they thought, oh, my God. God is speaking right in front of us. And then later, 
John tells us, and Jesus says, you know, destroy this temple, and after three days I will rise it up. And John tells us that the disciples, only after Jesus had actually done that, did they realize what he was saying. So that God's word became meaningful, and God's word became relevant right then, and it had meaning and impact into their life at that moment. But you have to realize that they knew it beforehand. They read it beforehand. They tried their best to understand it beforehand. So when the time came right, they could understand how God, God's word was bringing life to them at that moment. They had this aha moment that I don't think many of us have had. Now, to be honest, I understand. There are things in here that are just hard to wrap your mind around. Just for what they are. Forget the names and the places. Just things that are hard to comprehend. But friends, God gives wisdom and understanding through God's word. God doesn't give us this and say, well, you're on your own. Hey, I did my part. If God is willing to give this, God is willing to move through it as well. And we need to understand that this is not the Bible. It's the word of God. And when God speaks, there is power and there is life. So I think you and I need to pray because we can come up with all kind of good reasons why we can't or why we don't read this more or take more of it into our life. But we have to realize that all of those reasons or excuses, they aren't worth trading the life that God wants for us. So if you want to live more faithfully to God and to have more of those aha moments of Scripture, would you pray with me, please? Oh, gracious God, we trust that when you speak, there is life. You know all too well, Lord, the voices that we have listened to in our lives. Voices that have taken us away from you. That have taken us away from the life that you want to give us, the good life that only you can give us. Forgive us, Lord, for listening to those. But help us, beginning this day, to hear your word spoken to us trusting that when you speak to us, there is life. In Jesus' name, amen.